You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Everybody full? You guys get the little memory of your Thanksgiving from Alfonso's going through the food, right? How many of us ate turkey? How many of us don't like turkey? Okay, there it is. There it is. Okay, I love turkey. I don't know about you, but I, I love it. So I, I really save up all year before Thanksgiving, and then I eat as much as I possibly can. And then there's that drug in it, tryptophan, right? Or that med- something's inside a turkey, and it makes you want to take a nap. So unfortunately, this week, I, this year, I didn't have a chance to take a nap. There was just too many things going on. I, I joined like 27 other Lounsberries, and we gathered up for our Thanksgiving feast. And for some of us, Thanksgiving is just all gratitude. And, and usually it's that way. But you know, when you're with a lot of family, you also have to navigate a few minefields. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's an occasional minefield or two that you're working through. And, and that, that can be a little bit challenging. So uh, I had a great Thanksgiving. I'm very grateful to be here. Today we're doing part two of our serve one another uh, as part of our, our healthy relationships. And we're going through all the one another passages in the scriptures. And last week, our brother Vincent from our campus ministry did an awesome job preaching about it. And I really liked uh, what the kind of stuff that Vincent brought up. One of the things he brought up is in our spiritual journey, you know, we often start out in our spiritual journey with a bib on, right? And so I got a bib right here. I brought a bib, right? So he was talking about how in our spiritual life at church, uh, unfortunately, a lot of us, we, we, care, we wear the bib, right? We got the bib, the feed me bib, right? Here it is. So it says, feed me. And we, we live our spiritual life uh, loving church. And when you're a young Christian, like when you're a baby, you need to be fed, right? We do need to serve one another. However, unfortunately, a lot of us, we, we live a life where we want to be fed. And say, here's my, uh, my little guy. Uh, that's my grandson, Luca. And, you know, he, he wears the bib. Uh, and, and he's going to be wearing a bib for about a year. And he wants to be fed. And all he really does is sleep and eat and poop, right? That's pretty much all he does. But when we grow and when we're first becoming knowledgeable of God, a lot of times we're we're wearing the bib and we just, you know, we're, we're taking in all the food and we're growing a lot. And that is needed. We need to be taking in the food. But if you are getting much older, if a grown adult, unless they're eating, you know, cracked uh, crab or lobster or something like that, you don't usually wear a bib, right? You take it off. And what do you put on? You put on the apron, right? You put on the apron. This is what you do spiritually when you get a little older, right? And it needs to happen fast. You wear the apron because you are serving, And we read in Mark chapter 10 that whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so it was a great analogy that Vincent brought up. I want to refresh your memory about it and ask you, you know, you're wearing the bib spiritually. One of the ways that you can become, um, you know, critical and unhappy with your local congregation is if you're always asking to be fed. Right. But when you're serving You tend to care more about how things go, but you tend to not get critical. You come up with solutions on how to improve the work that you are participating in. Amen. And, you know, this is a great church. 
because so many people serve. Amen. I want to give the West side a hand. Hold yourself up, guys. You guys are a great church. And I wanted to be even greater. You know, it's very important for us to evolve in our spirituality. And it's very important for us to look for ways that God is calling us to serve. We can't wear the bib forever. There is a time for that. And if you're visiting, we have a Foundations of Faith Bible study series that we like to go through with people. It, it builds your understanding of the key elements involved in accepting God's you know, unmerited grace, in accepting God's plan for our life. It guides us into a purpose. Uh, it's something we want everyone to go through. Even if you moved here from somewhere else, we want you to, to go through the Foundations of Faith study series with a, another mature member and learn about that. And then what happens is you get fed, and, and certainly we need to be fed in our Sundays, and we need to be fed in our own times with God. But what happens is your growth will be contingent upon your decision to serve and put on the apron. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about today, a little bit more. And we're going to break today's message into two pieces. The first part is going to be called to greatness through serving. And then we're going to take communion in the middle of the lesson. After that, we're going to go into some practicals of things we actually need to study and learn about in order to serve the way God intended. And then we actually have uh, today set up some opportunities of things we're doing right now in the church that are already manned by people serving, but we need more. You're already a great church, but we need more support for God to impact the city and grow the church. And so we're going to be having a time where you get that privilege. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin to study a little further this idea of being called to greatness through serving. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. Father, thank you for giving us the ultimate example. Your son, who came not to be served, but to serve. Father, thank you that we can be great through your method, not our own. God, I pray that you would open our hearts at this time as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, at the end of my eighth grade year, I attended my older brother's high school graduation. I knew I was beginning the next year, so I was actually paying attention to all the ceremony and uh, the different pomp and different details going on. I, in particular, paid close attention to the social dynamics during the graduation. I noticed that the graduates were wearing different, uh, their gowns, but they had these like, I don't, I didn't know what they were called at the time, but I know, I know now they're called stoles. And they signify various awards or prestige, or if you're in the honor society or, or various things like that. And I kept asking, Hey, why does that guy have the bright yellow or bright white one? And why is that guy? He's, he's got all kinds of stuff. And they're like, Oh, that's the salutatorian or that's the valedictorian. And I was like, what are those? And I asked all these questions, so why are they speaking and who's speaking? I said, well, the second in the class, the salutatorian, they get to speak. And then the valedictorian, the first in the class, they get to speak. And then after the graduation, my, my brother, he was a popular guy, good athlete, but he, he hadn't, uh, you know, he wasn't one of the, the top students. And he was going to school in California, was going to be going to art school. He came out here and went to a photography school. A lot of his friends, and this is on the East Coast, were going to, you know, Ivy League schools. And I was like, oh, wow. And one of his good friends was, I found out, was ranked 28th in his class. 
I thought, oh, that's pretty good in a big high school. And, and all these things began to impact my mind. And I was like, how do you get ranked 28th? And I found out that you get ranked by based upon your GPA, right? We all know that college students, your, your GPA. And, and I began to learn, okay, so an A is a 4.0 and a B is a 3.0. And I, all these things went into my mind and I started thinking, okay, so the most impacting and impressive people here are the ones with the high GPAs. They're doing the speech. And after the graduation, it just left such an imprint in my mind. I was like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to try to be the valedictorian. And I knew I was beginning my freshman year. I'm like, I'm going to get straight A's, you know, and I'd gotten good grades, but I was like, I'm, I'm not letting that little B uh, enter in. I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to go for it. And through high school, I put a lot of work into it. When I entered uh, my sophomore year, I was uh, already ranked number one because in my freshman year, I, you know, put some serious work into it. And then I transferred to California uh, and I had to submit all my grades to the California school. And they were including the advanced placement classes. You guys know this. They count as a 5.0 in your GPA. So then I was like, wow, well, it turned out my school on the East Coast is better than my West Coast school. And uh, so all, all my AP classes actually bumped me up and I was like number one in the class, even on the West Coast. I was like, yes. Now, these days you have to have almost a 5.0 to be the valedictorian. It's near impossible. I mean, it's crazy. There's so many AP classes. But so I completed my high school um, and I ended up being my high school valedictorian. And the reason that I did that was I thought that would define greatness. Now, the ultimate goal was I had heard that. You know, the best colleges, you know, the way we define greatness in our culture is you rank everything. You compare things to one another. And we have college rankings. And back then, one of the top colleges, and it still is, was Harvard University. And I heard that um, that within my family genealogy, and mo- I'm not, I've found out a lot of families genealogy, there's scholarships for people if you can prove your genealogy was, you know, early settlers in America, they have scholarships for you at Harvard. I thought, oh, I can get a scholarship to Harvard, but you have to get accepted. And so that's why I was like, okay, I got to be the top student. So I was the top student. I applied for Harvard and I did not get accepted. In fact, uh, the, the next best public school, I thought, well, I'll go to a great public school, Cal Berkeley, and they deferred my enrollment. You guys ever tried that, right? They say you're in, but not till spring. And I'm like, I'm not waiting six months to go to school. So a lot of you don't know this, but I'm a UCLA grad, but UCLA was my third choice, right? It was my third choice. Now it's, it is now the best public school in America, according to the, the recent rankings. But you know, this highlights for many of us, our concept of greatness, it's based, it's based on comparison to other people, comparison to other things. We don't know how to define greatness unless we say we're simply better than others. And yet that is an empty way to attain greatness. And many of the richest, wealthiest, most successful people, you can see an emptiness if they're simply striving to be better than the next person. It leaves you empty. But the desire to be great is not a bad thing. In fact, I believe that desire is a God-ordained desire, that he put it in you. Right. He made us want to be great because we are made in his image. And it's a normal thing. It's not a bad thing. And Jesus talks about this. And I want to dig into this verse right here. It says they came to Capernaum when he was in the house. He asked them, 
What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So now look at this verse closely. We might think, oh, how arrogant. And, you know, Vincent talked about his audacious acts for a, a sports car. And, you know, we learn earlier or later in Mark chapter uh, 11 that the uh, apostles ask if they can sit at his right and his left. That's what Vincent talked about. And, and, and we do want to sort of match up and be great and be seen as superior to other people. But Jesus does not condemn their desire to be great, church. They say... Wow, we better not tell him that we were arguing about who's the greatest. But when he sits him down, he doesn't say, you shouldn't be thinking about that. Instead, he reorients the God-given desire to be great. And he says, if you want to be first, you've got to be the servant. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you are the servant of all. You surrender yourself later. And we read in Matthew 18 where he talks about the greatest among you will humble himself, herself like a little child. It's your heart. It's the way you don't view yourself as better than others. You view yourself as grateful to be a part of the plan of God. Today, church, I want you to desire to be great. Inside each of you, I think there's a little desire for that. Because God put it in there. Sometimes we squash it. We get disillusioned. We toss it aside. We say, oh, I'm not going to do that. But it's in you. Because God put it in you. He wants us to be great. He wants us to desire impact. He wants us. To desire to do something very significant in life. I know a lot of people move to L.A. to get famous, right? They move for the Hollywood dream, the music dream, the I want to be known dream. But being known will not bring you joy. Actually, it'd be nice to not be known. Now, one of the things that does help life a lot of times is if you have a lot of resources. But if you have a lot of resources... Unfortunately, you have a lot of responsibility as well, right? When you have a ton of resources, you also then have the responsibility to use them. But it'd be no fun to walk out the door and every person knows you and runs up to you wanting your autograph, right? Like famous people in L.A. And yet a little piece of us thinks, oh, if only I had that. But that's a fallacy. The greatness you desire is greatness in the eyes of of God. God wants you to be great. A great spiritual writer, Dallas Willard, said this, and listen to this closely. He said, unlike egotism, the drive to significance is a simple extension of the creative impulse of God that gave us being. It is not filtered through self-consciousness any more than as our lunge to catch a package falling from someone's hand. It is outwardly directed to the good to be done. It comes innately, he's saying. And we want to do something great. 
naturally. We were built to count as water is made to run downhill. We are placed in a specific context to count in ways no one else does. That is our destiny. Today, do you want to be great? I want to ignite a fire in you to desire to want to be great. And that greatness is not going to come from fame and and wealth and power and position. It's going to come because you decide to serve. Now, it doesn't it's not a bad thing necessarily to have a, a position. The position itself may be really valuable. We have a sister in here, a dear sister who's running for L.A. County School Board. Right. Charlotte Newbill. And I, for one, I hope she wins because we need godly people in positions of influence. But her greatness will not come from her title. Her greatness will come from her service. Desire greatness, church. There's no greater thing than to build the spiritual kingdom of God on this planet. There's no greater thing than to influence people in a spiritual way in the city of Los Angeles. Nothing is greater. It really makes an eternal difference. you got to desire that greatness. It comes, though, from service. You know, we have incredible servants here. I could list a ton. And everyone in here, I want you to know, if you're going to be a part of our fellowship, the Westside Church, we're going to call you to serve. Because we want to call you to be great. You know, we have a young a couple in here and they're no longer young. I met them when I was a young 23 year old. They were they were at church before me. They had been they'd been coming a long time. He and his wife come every morning at 7 a.m. She has to bring her walker down down the down the stairs or down the ramp. They get here. They make sure the chairs are set up. They get the sound system out. They come to serve. Most of you never see the service that they're doing because they do it early before anyone shows up. But they are great in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Michael and Tracy Keys, love you guys. Before we take communion, the first part, I want to read this verse about Jesus. We know... Before he is betrayed, he, we read in John 13, the story of him washing his disciples' feet. And the, the text talks about how he knows he's about to return to heaven. He knows where he came from. He knows where he is going. And Vincent talked about having a heavenly mindset when you serve. Knowing that we're doing this for big things. We're doing this for eternal things. Serving God's kingdom is the greatest thing you can do. It deserves your best time and talent and energy. We're going to talk about some practicals in point two. But Jesus was our example. And we read here, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Our Lord was going to the cross. He is the king of all humanity. The scriptures teach that we were made by him, for him, and through him. He is the king. He says, I am your teacher. I am your Lord. But I am among you as one who serves. 
I believe, yes, should we actually wash one another's feet? You know, these days we have really great showers and all kinds of stuff like that. They didn't have the same kind of setup. But like most things Jesus did, it was an example of deep humility. I don't know how often you let somebody, you know, I know if you go pay for a pedicure, you let them, you know, mess with your feet. But I don't usually like going to get a pedicure. I know Mark Shump likes to do that. That's, he's got really awesome feet. <laughs> but I don't like to do it. I, I don't know. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. There's a vulnerability, right? There's a, something personal. There's something like, yeah, this is kind of a nasty part of our life, right? It's like, oh, that's kind of, oh, yeah, okay, you're playing with my feet, right? The Lord got on his knees. He washed their feet. He got in there. He was willing to get into the grime and dirt of their lives. And that's the example to really be involved in the depth of each other's lives. As we take communion right now, point one, I want us to reflect on this idea of greatness. Will you serve the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom, the fellowship of God, the family of God and God himself? By getting on your knees and getting into the lives of people deeply and making a difference. Here's the question as we pray. I want you to reflect on as we take communion and then we'll launch after communion. We'll launch into point two. Will you embrace the call to greatness? Reflect on that. Ask that question of yourself. I hope the answer is yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. We know that you created us to be great. But you helped us reorient, reorient what greatness is. Father, I pray every soul in here as we reflect on you giving your body, as we remember that as we take the bread, as you shed your blood, as we remember that as we take the fruit of the vine that, that cleans our conscience, that changes us and gives us new hope. I pray we'll reflect on your example. Father, we know you made us to be great. We accept your call and thank you for the example of your son given his blood given his body. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Everybody took communion? Amen. Thank you, ushers, for serving. Give it up. Thank you, guys. We're going to move into part two of our lesson about serving one another. And part, part two is simply this, gifted to serve. You are gifted to serve. And we read a great passage here. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, my friends, you asked me about spiritual gifts. And he's writing to the church in Corinth that had a lot of problems. It was a very gifted church, but it also had a lot of problems. He says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but they all come from the same spirit. There are different ways to serve the same Lord, and we each can do different things. Yet the same God works in all of us and helps us in everything we do. The Spirit has given each of us a special way of serving others. You see that right there? The Spirit has given each of us a special way of serving others. Each of you has a gift and multiple gifts on multiple levels. You have the ability to impact people because God wants you to be great and he wouldn't leave you in a place where you couldn't accomplish this great act of service. Don't you hate it when you try to build something from, you know, you order something online that's a little, I don't know, a little cabinet and you go through all the instructions and you're building it and then like three screws that are needed to complete it are missing. All right, that's painful, right? You, you hate it when you don't have the tools to complete the work that you want to get done. God didn't call you to be great and leave you without the tools to become great, to accomplish the tasks that he has given. You have gifts. Each of us here has specific gifts. And God is calling you to figure out what they are. And we're going to talk a little bit how to do that today. And then use them for the greater good of humanity, to use them for other people. Your purpose in life is to influence people for the sake of God's goodness and grace. To reveal to the world who God is, how much he has done for us, and what he plans to do for all of humanity. Your mission in life involves, yes, teaching and preaching and healing other people in some way. That is what Jesus came to do. And he's called us to do the same. Your gifts are given to you, not just so you can become wealthy. Although some of us may become wealthy and God bless you for that. It is a gift if you become wealthy, but it is not for your self glory. It is to impact the souls of men and women. It is to change the eternal destiny of other people. We read about the different gifts here in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Now, there are many different kinds of gifts. I believe, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome about the gifts, I mean, he's just hitting a broad, you know, a broad brush stroke of the different types of gifts. But I don't think they're all included here. There's other lists in 1 Corinthians where we were reading. There's other places in Ephesians you find different types of gifts but look at these gifts. It says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Prophesying really means to tell the truth, right? To, to have the truth bubble up with inside you and tell people. Some of us, we are just truth tellers. 
We don't want to beat around the bush. We just want to go right at the truth. Or we can see when things are sort of out of place and people aren't lined up. And that's a gift a lot of us have to just tell the truth. And of course, if you read the word of God, you're going to have the eternal truth to tell people. So all of us can read the word of God and be prophesying in some way. But some of us are particularly gifted. If it is serving, then serve. You know, all of us are called to serve because we're called to be great. But some of us are just flat out really good at it. Like, and you can see them. You walk around. Some people just naturally, they're just serving. And you can be either an extrovert or an introvert and be a great servant. Right? Sometimes, you know, you, you're really good at serving, but you don't want to be around the huge crowd of people. Maybe you're the ones that get here really early and you're, you're doing some other types of things behind the scenes. Others of you love to be in front, sharing, talking, guiding, welcoming. We have these different gifts. Some though are particularly good at serving, but all of us are called to serve. If it is teaching, then teach. We have some teachers in here. Praise God, you're teaching our community and our children. God's calling you to teach other people and to even allow God to use that gift more and more as you teach people the foundations of the faith study. And a lot of you do do that. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Now, shouldn't all of us encourage people? But some, some people are really good at it, right? They're just, they just like encouraging you. They, you know, I, I, for one, I like encouraging people. I like to be encouraged, but I like to come up and give you a hug. Say, how are you doing? Just say something kind. Just build you up. I want to see the light in your eyes, right? I, I, you know, I'm an extrovert. I like, I like get energy from people. So I'm like, hey, how are you? I want to build you up. Some of us are gifted at it. All of us should do it. If it is giving, then give generously. I talked about that. Some of us are gifted by God in that way. You need to give. All of us should give generously, no matter where you're at. And let me just say this about, about finances. God gives us the ability to earn wealth. It comes from him. Honor God with your wealth. And if you are wealthy, if you are gifted, then you have been given that gift to make a tremendous spiritual difference in the world. Accumulating great wealth does you no good, will bring you no ultimate happiness. But giving it away, which actually is more difficult sometimes than making it, will bring you the greatest fulfillment you've ever had. Let's build the kingdom of God in this area as well. Amen, church? If it is to lead, do it diligently. I want to hold up within the West Side all our small group leaders. We have incredible small group leaders. If you're visiting today, we've divided the church up into little community small groups. If you've taken that role, thank you for taking that role. Thank you for organizing. Thank you for planning Thanksgiving feasts and lessons and, and just being a teammate in the West Side. And I want to call others. If it's your gift, please be willing to take that upon yourself. It says, if it is, if your gift is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Okay, so that's an interesting gift that you're really good at being merciful, right? And, and that's a kindness and a grace and a gentle and a healing part of, of our soul that all of us need to give, but some are particularly good at it. You need to think through, God, how have you made me? What are my gifts? And we talked a couple years ago about an acronym called the GPS. Now we all know it means global positioning system, right? And we all have it on our iPhones now or our Androids, right? We don't need, you know, nobody can read maps anymore because you just type in the address and just follow the, the, you know, we don't, nobody really knows how to read a map, right? Because we just follow the GPS on our phones. And what happens when there's no cell service and you're trying to get somewhere? You're like, I don't know where to go. And, you know, it's, it's, we pull our hair out. Well, God has a GPS for us. 
He has a global positioning system for your purpose and for your gifts and for your life to know how to live it out. And we talked about this in a book we read uh, about these gifts. And I want to highlight it for you and then give you the, a, a little bit about it. But you, everyone in here has a, a direction in life that you can determine how, where does God want you to serve? How will he help you serve? And where do you go if you know your GPS? And so your GPS is the G in this is your gifts. What are your spiritual gifts? Well, I just read some of them and we all have different types of gifts. One of the things that we all have is basic abilities. Just, we all have some basic abilities, normal everyday abilities. Uh, some of us are really naturally organized or, you know, some of us might feel, Hey, I'm really good. I work on computers. You might think that's my job. And you feel like it's a natural ability, but the reality is God can use your normal everyday abilities to change the world. And he can use your normal everyday abilities to make his kingdom more powerful and more effective. God wants you to use your normal everyday abilities. But you also have spiritual gifts that he's put inside of you that won't really come awake until you begin to give yourself over to the work of God and the Holy Spirit. And we read a lot about some of these gifts, in, as we said, in the different texts from the Apostle Paul. And in one of his writings, he talks about the five ministries that God uses to lead the church. He talks about this in Ephesians. He talks about being either uh, an apostolic type person, which means you like to plant and you have new ideas all the time, things you want to do. How many of us are a new idea person? Okay. Some of us are new idea people. All right. Number two, that's apostolic type gift set that he gives us to, to work on his church. You want to start new ministries, start new things, help new people. Then there's, you know, the, the, the people that are incredible, um, excuse me, hold on. Then there's the prophets that I was talking about and the prophets are the ones who tell the truth. How many of you in here, when you see something wrong in society, just immediately sort of have a little insight, like, ah, that something's wrong. Something's wrong in my family. Something's wrong in society. I, and you feel like this welling up inside of you. I, I got to stand up or I got to tell the truth in this situation. How many of you feel that? Like you just kind of see when things are out of line. Okay. You have the prophetic gift. All right. You have the P, the, the P of, of the gift set. So you have the apostle, you have the prophet, and then you have evangelists. All right. Who's an, I'm, I'm appointed an evangelist. CJ's appointed an evangelist in our fellowship of churches. If you are leading churches, you're usually appointed an evangelist. Well, an evangelist means you like to recruit people to the cause. You're a recruiter. You're energizing. You're, you're a motivator. You're calling people to great things, right? You, you're like, Hey, you got to join me. I got this great thing. Yesterday, um, I recruited CJ to join Nathan and I, as we went to the UCLA football game. I recruited him. It's going to be great, CJ. You got to come. He's like, okay, I'll go. It was the worst game of the year. <laughs> they lost. They got crushed. Yes, it was very painful. But I was so happy to get CJ to come and enjoy my alma mater. And he's recruited me to like Arsenal, his soccer team. So, you know, we're recruiting each other to the, to the sports cause. But the big calling is, are you, are you, some of us are really good at just inviting people. How many of you, is it easy just to invite somebody to church? Okay, so you might have the evangelist gift, right? Then you've got the shepherd gift. Mark Shump is an appointed shepherd, an elder in our church. Thank you, Mark, for your service to the church. Some of us, we just like taking care of other people. 
right? How many of us feel like I just like shepherding, seeing too that people are safe. How many of you feel that way? All right. You got that shepherd gift. And then the teaching gift. This is all from Ephesians chapter, chapter four. Some of us are just great teachers. CJ, he's, he was a teacher and when he teaches sermons, he's very organized. He's got all his points laid out and he's, he's, he's got the teacher gift. Some of us are by vocation. We're teachers. How many of us feel like we're natural teachers? Okay. A lot of you out there. Okay. You are gifted for greatness. The challenge is, will you use those gifts in the kingdom of God? He wants you to use it. Number two in this GPS is your passions. Your passions are really what you feel strongly about. The kind of people or the kind of cause that you feel strongly about. A lot of times it has to do with when, when God found you. If you, I was just graduating from college when God found me. And you know what? For 25 years, I've had a passion for, for college students and for young professionals. And because my life was transformed in my early 20s when I felt like I was a lost soul and God transformed me. I've naturally had a passion for that throughout my life. What about for you? You have a people passion and a cause passion. The last thing I want to bring up is your story. All right. So you have a passion that should affect what you do, but you also have an individual story. Your story has to do with the blessings God has given you or sadly the brokenness that God turns into a blessing as you give it out. I want to tell a story about Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a businessman and a Christian and his four daughters perished on a boat trip when his wife was going to England and he couldn't come because of a business situation that made him stay back. And they perished on this boat trip because two boats collided. Uh, this was in the 1800s. His wife miraculously survived the tragedy. And those rescued, including his wife, Anna, who was found unconscious, floating on a plank of wood, Subsequently arrived in South Wales, London. Upon arrival, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, which included the words, survived but alone. So he knew his four daughters had perished. Receiving Anna's message, he set off at once to be reunited with his wife. One particular day during the voyage, the captain summoned him to the bridge of the vessel, pointing to the charts. He examined them and said that they were now at that time passing over the very spot where the boat his wife and daughters were on had sunk and where his daughters had died. It is said that Spafford at that moment returned to his cabin and wrote a hymn, a hymn that we've sung many times entitled, It is Well with My Soul. The first line of his him was when peace like a river attendeth my way. And he wrote that through the brokenness of that moment. You know, after Anna was rescued, one of the ministers traveling with the surveying group, surviving group, remembered hearing Anna say, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me, but someday I will understand from God why. And about 10 years later, they as a family gathered together with a group of other like-minded Christians and they moved to Jerusalem. And there, as a husband and wife who ended up having 
three more children. They served the needy, helped the poor, and cared for the sick, and took in homeless children. Their story, their brokenness, inspired them to do something great. You all have a story. I want to call on you to consider your story as you want to make a difference in this world. And your GPS are your gifts, your passion, and your story. And as a church, two years ago, we all took a survey that you all can take again if you forgot. It's called the Gift Passion Story Assessment that will tell you really what are you gifted at. It's a free survey you can take, assessments.giftpassionstory.com. I want to urge all of you, take a picture of the screen if you want, go to that website and take the survey. I looked it over. Yes, it had on there that I'm a recruiter to the cause, that I like to start new ideas, that I, that I have this vision to, to do something great, that I want to build things. There's many other gifts I don't have. All of you have some gifts, but not all of them. And that is why we all need each other. Amen. As we close out today, I want to call on us. Today, we're going to make commitments to serve. The West Side Church makes a difference here in the West Side. We influence from Malibu down south almost to Long Beach, right? We influence a lot of Los Angeles. But God can do even more. He does that through you using your time and talents. And today, after we close the service, we are going to have a chance for you to volunteer for some of the things we're actually doing in here. All right, we're doing a lot of stuff, right? We have men's and women's events that we run annually. We need your support running them. We're going to start a men's breakfast in a couple weeks, and we want to run that all next year. Prayer breakfast, a men's character breakfast, something to really inspire men. Our women have events that change lives. We need some support, added hearts that want to give to this great work. We have a marriage ministry here, and we do marriage enrichment. We had a great marriage retreat. Amen. And thank you for those that served in that regard. But actually, we need more of the marriage. Maybe you've had a tough time that you've gotten through. Maybe you can be a part of the marriage enrichment team. We have children's ministry. Thank you, Carrie, for serving our children's ministry, for the Funes who've served, for Candies who served. And now I do want to say that it's so awesome to have Jay and Nedra volunteering to help coordinate our children's ministry. But we're going to need more help in that area. Our media and our tech guys, right? You see them back there. We're going to need more servants in that way. We can't have the same people every week. They're going to need time off. We need more servants in that way. Hope Worldwide. Clarissa, thank you for taking the lead of Hope Worldwide. That is our benevolent arm of our church. Amen. It does amazing things all over the world. And it, we have a chapter right here on the west side. And we have great plans for this church. But it's a benevolent arm of our church. If you feel called for benevolent work, please volunteer to help with Hope Worldwide. We'll have a table in the back. You know, we do as a church heritage months. These are times where we highlight the variety. If you look around, the diversity of this church is enormous. And we need more and more people to volunteer to be a part of those incredible services, which are evangelistic, and they're also very healing and very validating and very powerful. And I want to ask, if you have a heart for that, uh, please continue to serve. Thank you for Craig Aaron volunteering to kind of head that up. But we're going to need a lot of work running those months and making them very impacting. 
You know, we also have, the, I know you guys avail yourself of the food, the hospitality table. Always need more support there. We want to be a warm and welcoming church. And so hospitality is not only food, although we do need extra help preparing that each week. We don't want to leave that on the same people every week. Amen. You know, David Jackson and Patrice are incredible at coming to set up every week. David's our head usher. But let me tell you, amen. He's also our head security guy. But ushering, we, again, we, we can't have the same people. We need a team of people serving in our ushering. So we're going to have a table on ushering. That is more than just being the guy that tells you where to sit. That has to do with the first impression that people are going to have of our church. So please, if you know, hey, I like that, or maybe you are an extrovert, that might be a good role for you. You know, we have mentoring of our youth, and that's a huge role. How many of you guys have ever mentored somebody, either a teen or a college student? Thank you for that. We want more and more because we're getting new teens coming up and new college students coming up and we need support in that. We'll have a table for that in the back. And, you know, we do this incredible event annually called our Harvest Festival. We had it at the end of October. It was downscaled quite a bit this year. But next year, we want it to be huge. We want it to be community. We want the whole city to be out and visit. But we can't leave that on the same people. I know uh, the Kendalls have ran that for many, many years, and the staff took it on lately. Amen. But we need some support making that a community event that can change the city and help them see the kind of hearts we have. So church, as we close out, I want you to consider volunteering for one of these. These are things we're doing right now. These aren't maybes. And you might say, but Steve, I'm new. I I don't know how I can help. That's okay. We're going to have people manning the tables. We're going to help you know ways that you can serve. You might say, Steve, but I volunteered before and nobody called me. I'll take responsibility. I'm sorry no one called you. The staff is going to man many of the tables today. Those that are manning the tables are the leaders of the different groups. We will take names and we will contact. We promise within 48 hours, you'll have some contact giving direction on how you can help us serve and make things great. Amen. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible had problems. You might think, I just can't. I'm, I got problems. Well, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of other family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive and had a temper. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus was unpopular and Thomas had doubts. Paul himself had poor health and Timothy was timid. And yet all these people overcame their excuses and served and have changed the world. And we can change the world for the next generation. You are gifted to serve. Amen. Love you guys. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.